Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the January 17th, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guest for the full hour is Vic Dramy, editor and publisher of The Blunt Post, as well as host producer of The Blunt Post with Vic on Radio KPFK. Some of you might recognize the voice when you hear him. The topic for today will be his recently released documentary, Motherland, an award-winning documentary feature film about Azerbaijan's Turkey's attack on Artsakh, also previously known as Nagorno-Karabakh, in 2020 and the massacre of 5,000 people. And this he details his travels to Armenia several times last year, where he interviews elected officials, eyewitnesses, veterans, refugees, and journalists for the film. And that act of aggression is part of a campaign, folks, that has associations with our Irvine Mayor Farrakhan, which listeners have heard raised before on this show. The film will be presented in Irvine on January 25th. We'll have some details, I hope, in the later part of the interview. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. My guest for the full hour is Vic Dramy with his pretty new award-winning documentary, Motherland, the Azerbaijani-Turkish Aggression Against the Republic of Artsakh, or also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, a breakaway state in the South Caucasus whose territory is internationally, has been recognized as um, part of Azerbaijan. Vic's, and he will, he'll talk about that sovereignty and, and all that. Vic's documentary, Vic tells a story on the ground, in the trenches, in the corridors of power, and on the platform of oligarchic stagecraft. Vic is a contributor to the LGBTQ, San Diego News, Windy City Times, Houston Voice, DC Life Magazine, Out and About Nashville, Q, Virginia, GNI Mag, Q Notes, Go WeHo, that's like West Hollywood, Azbarez, the California Courier, Desert Daily Guide, Armenian Weekly, GED, The Pride LA, In Magazine, Out Traveler, The Fight Magazine, The Advocate Magazine, among others. And you've also, as I mentioned in the introduction, he's the producer of his own The Bump Post with Vic on Radio KPFK, so people will recognize his voice, KPFK listeners. He completed his associate's degree at the College of the Canyons and his bachelor's degree in theater at Cal State Long Beach. He comes to us today from Los Angeles. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Victor Ami. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you for that generous introduction. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. First, congratulations on a vivid and important, along with a deeply personal chronicle of the war in Artsakh, which I've addressed on this show and all, both on Ask a Leader and on my short run, was about a year and a quarter, on digging out with local Armenian Americans, as well as our mayor, and we'll, we'll bring that up later on. So your film, Motherland, and you're being a very central figure. I mean, like when you, you run at the, the credits at the end, cast, we start with you. There's a lot going on with the title and you figuring centrally in the film, could you, you've invoked the mother in the, the motherland in your title. Talk about that choice 
And I, I'm going to draw on some what that has to do with some really very um, unbearable kind of asymmetries as we talk about the warring going on. But Motherland, how did sure. you land on that title? Sure, for sure. So the, I decided to use Motherland as the title because I wasn't born in Armenia. Uh, I consider it my motherland. For me, Los Angeles is home, uh, but Armenia is my motherland. I was first taken there when I was three years old. And uh, my mother was had a lot of ties to Armenia, and that's who put like the love of Armenia in in me growing up. So this film, uh, which I wish I didn't have to make, because uh, you know five thousand plus Armenians were massacred, uh, and for the film to be necessary for me to make the film, I wanted the film to be through the lens of an Armenian American journalist chronicling this and documenting what happened. So it's really about an Armenian-American journalist going back to his motherland um, to see this modern-day genocidal assault, because, you know, as, as most people know, Armenians went through the first genocide of the 20th century, 1915, which was finally recognized um, for the first time by a U.S. president just two years ago. And so our wounds are very fresh. Our wounds are not healed um, because the perpetrator of the genocide, uh, Turkey, is yet to acknowledge it. In fact, they have a state-sponsored uh, denial campaign. So it's really about me going back to uh, documenting, yet again, another slaughter of Armenians uh, in my motherland. And I wanted to just uh, correct two minor things, and these are this is stuff that's out there, that's disinformation, and it just kind of gets repeated a lot. Correct. Um, I knew you were. Go uh, ahead. One of them is that Artsakh is not a breakaway republic. Artsakh um, declared its independence from the USSR uh, even prior to the fall of the USSR and before even the states of Armenia and Azerbaijan. So Artsakh became an independent republic prior to both Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, so that's that's something that's a very important element there. And they did it in accordance to all international law. In fact, even in accordance to, the at the time, the USSR uh, laws and protocols. And that was in 1988. And in late 1990 was when they declared their full independence. Um, Armenia and Azerbaijan gained their independence in 1991 from the USSR. So thank you for that. I I'm, I was trying to get a, a sort of a, a thumbnail frame of reference geographic and historical in one half of a phrase so that people could start checking their maps. In a, and, and that will be a point of how much the Azerbaijani campaign to establish their agenda in so many venues. That's a part of what we're going to be talking about today. And and I I want to say that for Armenians, it's, it's, a, it's like the ones with whom I'm familiar, and it, you remind me of them, Vic, is that there are people that have amazing day jobs. They're, they're very fully and gainfully uh, involved as professionals. And then as soon as they're on a break, as soon as they're done with the job for the day, they go straight into some kind of Armenian institution building. So there's this kind of 
huge uh, international expat community, I'm going to sort of generalize from those that I know of here, that are you're all taking up these jobs to shore up a country that's in this kind of a, a petrochemical uh, byway that's getting flattened by these coalescing yeah. nations uh, neighboring uh, Artsakh and Armenia. So I I want to yeah. I want to call out that's the beginning of this asymmetry is people that are working in civic life to try to mm-hmm. hold together a, a nation, a people for, from thousands of years in existence and beyond and against a, a petrochemical nation that's been able to underwrite all kinds of campaigns, including the military one in September. We'll talk about that September 2020. So, I, I mean, maybe you can give me another example of this, these expats that are working tirelessly to, to yeah. build and to shore up this, this nation. Well, here, yeah, and thank you for that, and thank you for your acknowledgement. Here's the thing, you know, uh, Armenians scattered throughout the world after the Armenian genocide. Those that survived found themselves in all four corners of the world. Of course, the U.S. has about 1.3 million Armenians. Many are in France and Greece, South America, uh, Canada, etc. Listen, I, I wish that I didn't uh, have to um, devote so much energy and time to, to what seems to me is just really absurd, and that is um, absurd in a way that, that Armenia, once again, and Armenians are left to fend for themselves. Because, you know, we look back at the Armenian genocide and analyze it and say, well, why didn't the world do something? Why didn't the world... Um, knew, they knew what was happening. Why didn't they intervene and stop the massacre of 1.5 million Armenians, as well as 750,000 Assyrians, uh, plenty of Yazdis, Greeks, Jews, Kurds, etc. And, you know, one of, the, one of the things that comes up is, well, there wasn't that, you know, the kind of communication that we have now uh, available at the time, but it is available now. We are watching uh, videos live on social media of Armenians being beheaded alive with knives by Azerbaijani soldiers while they were drinking beer and uh, laughing, you know, and, and you, you know, you put your finger uh, on, on the right spot, which is that, you know, Azerbaijan has, you know, plenty of oil and gas, and even especially since now we're supposedly not buying oil and gas from Russia, uh, which is ironic because Russia is laundering its oil and gas through Azerbaijan. So we are actually buying Russian oil and gas just through Azerbaijan. But Azerbaijan has stepped up and really fulfilled Europe's um, need for um, for energy, and then uh, so this brings U.S. in as well. And Azerbaijan is uh, is also buying billions with a B of weapons from multiple countries. So, uh, and they are you know they're really good. They spend hundreds of millions uh, on lobbyists and uh, publicists and public relations firms to make sure that their agenda is carried out, to make sure that no one intervenes, that the message out there um, is full of propaganda and disinformation. Uh, there are, in the film, I talk about this with sources and such of decades of bribing European officials from European Union as well as Council of Europe 
so that they will just sort of do what they want to do. And then you also have Azerbaijan's, you know, what the president of Azerbaijan, Aliyev, calls his big brother, uh, Erdogan of Turkey, who for decades been massacring Kurdish and Syrians and, and Yazdis and, uh, you know, Greeks, Syrians, and yet the world doesn't stop him. And he is using Turkey's membership in NATO and the fact that, you know, Turkey agreed to hold 3.6 million Syrian refugees, for which EU is paying them billions annually. And whenever a European country doesn't sort of follow their agenda, they threaten to release the 3.6 million Syrians into Europe. So you have these two rogue authoritarian nations that are just basically out of control. Armenia is this tiny little nation with a population of 2.9 million, a sliver in the middle of those two, uh, and is just trying to survive. And our, Armenia doesn't have you know, a great deal of natural resources, oil, gas, uranium, copper, etc., to offer the world. So, you know, it comes down to oil and gas and money and uh, interest. There's also nations that are interested in working with Azerbaijan because Azerbaijan would allow them or allows them to monitor Iran from its border and to strike Iran if necessary. So that, too, is a factor in um, basically placating to Azerbaijan and its uh, rogue leader. Listen, when Ukraine happened, I was very happy to see the world's quick response to it and how governments and leaders and agents quickly realized what was happening and who was responsible and the language that was used. But it was a little disheartening because a year and a half prior to Ukraine, almost identical thing had happened to Artsakh Armenians. And, you know, not only the reaction wasn't even close to that, but the language that was used. <laughs> you know, it, we've had nothing but toxic both-sidedism um, from Secretary Blinken, about this in two years, this absurd notion of, oh, let's, let's have both sides sort of come to the table and discuss, which is absurd. You know, and in my film, I talk about, um, you know, when you go to the home of a battered wife who has a black eye, you don't sit both the, the wife and the husband down and say, I'd like both of you to put your fists down. So this argument that's made about Artsakh and Azerbaijan, it, it just uh, doesn't make any sense. And it's not one that was used for Ukraine. So there's a double standard. Um, after two years, the harshest thing we've heard from the State Department is deeply concerned. They are deeply concerned uh, about what Azerbaijan is doing. Now, you're probably aware that since December 12th of this last year, so it's been, God, it's been way over a month now, Azerbaijan has blocked the only road leading from Armenia to Artsakh, hence basically holding hostage 120,000 Armenians, 30,000 of whom are children. The only road that brings them food, medicine, anything, no one can go in and out. You know, we are literally watching a human catastrophe unfold in front of us. For how many months, Vic? Uh, it's been just over a month. It's oh, okay. since December 12th. Okay. Okay. So it's been about 36 days, I think. Now. So it's a blockade For, against a civilian population. Absolutely. You know, they brought in mostly militants um, dressed as pseudo-environmentalists uh, protesting and blocking this road. 
there have been calls from, you know, every imaginable nation, uh, all the international agencies, Council of Europe, European Union, OSCE, um, UN Security Council held a meeting, and all the members called on Azerbaijan to lift the blockade. But it's not being done. It's not being done because uh, people and, and nations are calling for it, but they're not doing anything substantial. Everyone is afraid to um, to offend Aliyev and Azerbaijan. It's, it, the hypocrisy of it is absurd. You know, we have, and I've called that. Listen, I'm a I'm a registered Democrat, and I voted for President Biden, um, but I've called him out on it. You know, what, what's the point of recognizing the Armenian genocide when uh, you're not doing anything for one that's happening now? And now let me also tell you this. So in 2021, when President Biden, on the, on the eve of the Armenian genocide uh, anniversary, recognized the Armenian genocide, uh, it was a, you know, it was a landmark moment. It was. I remember. Although Congress had recognized it a few months prior to that, both the House and the Senate. Um, the House almost unanimously, and Senate unanimously. That was a great moment. A week later, President Biden and Secretary Blinken decided to lift Section 907 of the Freedom Act, uh, which restricts any U.S. taxpayer help to Azerbaijan that will be used uh, for military or for killing people. They lifted Section 907 and gave $100 million to Azerbaijan. And they did it again last year. Now, Azerbaijan doesn't need $100 million from anyone. Their, their oil profits are in the billions. But the absurdity of this, that the State Department justifies this as, oh, we're helping Azerbaijan secure its borders from terrorists. It's just another absurdity. Um, Azerbaijan is producing terrorists. So, I mean, who believes this stuff? I've... You know, I've interviewed, you watched Motherland. I've yes. interviewed um, seven members of Congress for the film. I actually interviewed nine, but two had to be cut because the film was too long. And all of them, uh, you know, just kind of taunt this whole notion that we need to help Azerbaijan and that that $100 million a year U.S. taxpayers are paying Azerbaijan doesn't or isn't going to killing people. It's a it's a very unfortunate. You know, it's it's worse than unfortunate. It's a it's a tragedy unfolding as you and I are speaking right now as we are. in real time. And I there's a lot I want to uh, unpack further, but I just want to let listeners have just joined us know. My guest is Vic Drami, editor and publisher of the Blunt Post, and he's come out with this. It's an award-winning documentary feature film about Azerbaijan's Turkey's attack on Artsakh. The film is entitled Motherland, and people will be able to have an in-person viewing of this. We'll get the details in a bit. I keep saying that. In Irvine, but it's also available on Vimeo. But I just want to get at two parallel situations that create opportunities for Azerbaijan to be the strong republic, the strong man in that particular region of the world is that in September of 2020, when the 44-day war uh, occurred, that remember everybody our, where our heads were at, we had a presidential election that was really heating up. We had a pandemic that was major heating up, and this is pre-vaccine, so there's that moment. And then right now, I think um, the opportunity, the, uh, the, the, a parallel to that is the Azerbaijani taking an opportunity with the world's concern for how Ukraine is holding up. So I'm just wondering if 
Blinken is justifying some of these, um, you know, these both sides comments and the, the two rounds of $100 million of aid to Azerbaijan is that they're they're trying, they're using Ukraine as a reason for how how this support just to kind of uh, coalesce with Azerbaijan. I'm, it's not just because I'm just saying there's distractions and there's sort of a surface yeah. of... You're, you're right in you're right in part of that, uh, and not that you're not right in others. Let me just say this: um, the both sideism and uh, Secretary Blinken's just awful response was prior to Ukraine. Also, remember, Ukraine happened last Feb- year, yeah. right? Early last year. The so before that, you know, what was the excuse then? And what they're also uh, what they're also ignoring is if if Ukrainians are if if weakening Russia so that they will end the the siege of Ukraine, the invasion of Ukraine, then why are they turning a blind eye to the fact that Russia is laundering its oil and gas through Azerbaijan? Right, right. I, I want to get to so, and that. Yes. You know, and we know this. So there's a lot that uh, that doesn't make sense to us. And, and you are right. Azerbaijan and Turkey and Turkey helped Azerbaijan orchestrate this. In 2020, they did take advantage of the U.S. presidential elections. Um, they also, uh, you know, Erdogan being a, a big pal of President Trump, he knew that he would get the green light from the U.S. and, and President Trump and not have any kind of an intervention. And then COVID was sort of like an unforeseen gift to them that further preoccupied uh, the U.S. and world's attention. So they were able to do this. And, and just to say this, I don't even call it a war because the, what happened in 2020 when it was a genocidal assault and ethnic cleansing, Azerbaijan and Turkey with help from ISIS and mercenaries from Pakistan, Libya, and Syria attacked Artsakh with the intent to completely invade the entire territory of Artsakh or the, the Republic of Artsakh and killed all the Armenians. And they did succeed in taking about 80% of it and killing just over 5,000 Armenians. And so this was a genocidal assault and ethnic cleansing. And if anyone doubted it then, they're witnessing it now because there's no way you can justify kidnapping, essentially holding hostage 120,000 people in freezing temperatures. Artsakh is a mountainous republic. It's very cold. And so, you know, at, at first, since September 12th, when they first did the blockade, they first cut off the gas for several days. And then, uh, after some outcry, they uh, released the gas. And what they did about almost two weeks ago, they've also cut off electricity, and a week ago they cut off the Internet. So you have 100,000 people who ran out of food and medicine and don't have electricity or the Internet. So, Vic, I wanted to draw parallels. In, it's an utter shorthand. I don't hope I don't just floor you with this. But I, I'm looking as I, from the benefit of what I'm learning from investigating investigations is that, that you could say that Artsakh in 2020, that was that was 1.0. And then to Ukraine is like 2.0 and there's 3.0 name, you know, find your location in that area that the Syrian mercenaries that made 
again, we're going back to an asymmetry. The Azerbaijanis being able to use Syrian mercenaries that have already been tested in other parts of uh, the, you know, in the Middle East and in the Caucasus. And that that kind of terrorist kind of, of, of tactics in the battlefield there yeah. is what we're seeing in Ukraine now. And it, it, it's just uh, unleashing that. So it's I just want for people to see that here are, and then I I wanted just to back up a little bit with your film gives us a sort of a history of the kind of build up to what happened in 2020. I'm sort of hopping around the timeline. I'm sorry to do that, but there was a kind of in in Azerbaijan's administration, they were sort of massing up all kinds of a a conquering force. That once there was the moment of you know, worldwide distractions in 2020, they can make a move. But any, that, so that was 1.0. Ukraine is 2.0 with these kinds of military assets, the, the petrochemical capacity, the mercenaries and all that. So I, I, I want people to sort of see there, there are connections. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe the Ukrainian genocide invasions are helping make the case for Armenia that this, this, what you see here now has been what we've been talking about previously, starting 2020. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right in a lot of your points. Um, there have been there have been uh, people who have said uh, perhaps if the world had uh, responded to what happened in Artsakh in 2020, he wouldn't have dared to do what he did. Uh, because remember, although Azerbaijan and Turkey were the main sort of planners of this. We know that these sorts of things don't happen unless you have the blessing of the major powers. And so Putin was, you know, in on it, uh, you know, to say the least. And so, you know, the world just sort of went along their way and, and sort of nothing happened. So then why wouldn't Putin uh, decide to invade Ukraine and do the same thing that he did in Georgia and isn't done in, you know, other parts of the former Soviet Union. Um, there's, you know, when you, it's like genocide ignored, is genocide repeated, and other forms too. And also, you know, U.S. foreign policy, God, whenever I hear um, speeches by some of our leaders, Republican or Democrat or independent, doesn't matter, and they talk really big about human rights and democracy and the world and community and all of this. I just think, I just want to, pardon me, but I want to throw up in the back of my throat because um, it's all subjective and it's all sort of, um, you have to sort of meet the fold. We have for years ignored Turkey sheltering ISIS. You know, most ISIS are sheltered in Turkey. But we keep saying a Turkey is a NATO ally. What ally? When we wanted to go into Iraq in 2003, uh, Turkey wouldn't let us. Turkey has demonstrated over and over again that we're, there are no allies of ours. So we, you know, we just sort of we pick and choose what we want to talk about. Turkey has sheltered all this ISIS, and then we used the Kurdish to fight the ISIS. But then at some point we decided to abandon them and let them get slaughtered by ISIS and Erdogan because he has expansionist, you know, goals. And gray wolves. Turkey created gray wolves. And now gray wolves 
are all over Europe with cells all over the place. And any time a European nation doesn't vote uh, in anything that favors Turkey, a terrorist act happens. You know, this has happened in, in France and Germany and, and other parts. Um, you know, the, the, the hypocrisy, the double standard is really astounding. It, there's so much double standard. And when you hear uh, our leaders, European leaders, and, you know, just leaders around the world talk about different, uh, different nations and conflicts that are happening, it, it's just astounding how they can ignore some. <laughs> and, you know, like in Ethiopia, there's been a genocide happening there for years. Well, right. we just don't. I know. Of... I know. I'm not going to I'm not underestimating the value there, but I just want to keep us on where there's plenty to cover right there. Yeah, yeah. So, I know. I, so I, I understand. But be... I want to get to the keep going back to the asymmetry. When a country has a petrochemical portfolio, they can flood the band, everybody's bandwidth with the kind. And I just I'm allow me. I'm going to try to play a couple of segments yeah. that I pulled up from the it was, I believe, in May of 2021, the celebration of Azerbaijan's Republic Day in Los Angeles. It opens with the L.A. consulate kicking off the celebration. There are a number of nonprofit leaders, electeds, all mainly from southwest USA. And I think uh, Mr. Cuellar, Congressman Cuellar, is included in that later. I want to just play a few clips so we can see what the petrochemical Azerbaijani portfolio can do with the kind of public relations that will sort of flood people's imaginations uh, so they're, they're not critically understanding some of these. Let me see if exactly. I can get started with one clip. This is the consulate in L.A., and then I hope I'll, I'll play our Mayor Farah Khan's contribution in this and then a, a few other parts that are sort of meant to paint up a, a picture here. Let's see if we can get this going here. Today, we're celebrating a remarkable achievement in the history of Azerbaijani people. Namely, 103 years ago, on May 28, 1918, the people of Azerbaijan established their first republic, the Azerbaijan Democratic Republic, which also became the first secular democracy among all Muslim nations. This republic also became the first majority Muslim nation to grant women the right to vote, and run for election. Okay, so that's one segment in there. And after that opening, then we hear a number of electeds and representatives of, uh, you know, civic leaders that talk about the sister-city relationship with Azerbaijan and, uh, and all kinds of things. And what I can't play is the whole video, but I can play what our mayor, where she appears, and that they're... The script is very tight. It's a pretty, it's, it, it looks like it's something that's been contributed by the, I'm just going to pull up here where she appears while we're talking here. And then um, it's, it implicates the, the individuals in being complicit in providing more public relations on behalf of Azerbaijan. So I'm going to start now with, this is the part of the same commemoration celebrated the Azerbaijani Republic. Here is our mayor, Farrakhan, and this was in May, and, I, and I'm going to relate this. This whole thing ends with a festival, a cultural festival that celebrates Azerbaijani culture, 
and a portion of that music festival is in your documentary. So there, all of these things are overlapping. Here is our Mayor Farah Khan speaking in this Azerbaijani commemorative. This is Mayor Farah Khan from the city of Irvine. And I just wanted to join you in celebrating the 103rd anniversary of the Azerbaijan Democratic Republic. It is an amazing feat that Azerbaijan is the first ever secular democracy among all Muslim nations and the first to grant voting and election rights to women as early as 1919. As the first Muslim woman elected as mayor of a large city in the US, inclusivity is so important. As you know, I had the opportunity to visit Baku and see firsthand the diverse Muslim, Christian, and Jewish populations living peacefully side by side, something that we continue to work on here in the U.S. So on this day, I wish you all a very happy National Day. Take care and be well. Okay, so that that's our mayor, and that's I, I heard you're ready to respond to that. And I just wanted to put that up there. This is community radio, ladies and gentlemen, and this is why I'm bringing Vic Durami to our radio waves because the public relations campaign that is trying to flood everybody's attention while a genocide is being perpetrated is that our mayor is playing along, and she had a, a pretty good opposition in selections of, of candidates for mayor in the last election, and people were, uh, you know, it was brought to their attention. It was not a subtle point, but they they were loyal to her, and there were distinguished people that are clergy, political scientists at UC Irvine, and I mean, not all of them, but the, some I can, and they were not critically thinking through this kind of connection. But go ahead, Vic, you have lots of reactions put to both of those clips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, nothing I haven't heard uh, or seen before. And I showed this in my film, and as a, as a journalist, and this film being an investigative film, everything in it, every word, every footage, every statement is backed by sources and evidence and such. Mayor Farrakhan is a disgrace. Um, she, you know, she's just one of those people when she talks, um, I secretly laugh because it's just so absurd. It's just opposite of, um, opposite of reality, right? And, and Azerbaijan is really good at doing this because they have unlimited resources and unlimited income. And this is, you know, listen, your listeners, go do your own homework. Just go dig up Azerbaijan laundromat or you have your diplomacy, look at the Panama Papers that were released, and look at the, you know, the incredible amount of money that is spent by Azerbaijan on lobbying groups and public, uh, and PR annually throughout the world. Um, and as Azerbaijan recently as, as emissaries and, from the, uh, the EU were just, one of them had resigned for a Swedish emissary because they realized that their trip that was sponsored by Azerbaijan to Baku was in very poor judgment. So, I mean, it's, it's an ongoing thing. I may have talked about a 2021 trip to Baku or 2020, but here we are. It's still happening, as you were tweeting out uh, just yeah, this week. Yeah, I mean, week. Several, several years ago, 14, 14 uh, members of the, of the Council of Europe resigned, and those were only the 14 where the, the evidence was overwhelming that resigned. There were a lot more that were implicated in, in the Azerbaijan laundromat. $2.9 billion with a B spent on lobbying 
and uh, public relations in just a few years. I mean, this goes deep. So just to show you what Azerbaijan does, right? A few years ago, they, they created a quote-unquote partnership with the Vatican where they spent millions on the restoration of the Vatican, right? Now, the Pope has been very close to the Armenian community because he grew up in Argentina, where there's a large Armenian uh, community. There were genocide um, survivors, and the Pope uh, very firmly recognized the genocide when he became Pope. In 2020, a few months before uh, Azerbaijan attacked Artsakh, Aliyev and his wife, who's, by the way, the vice president of the nation, so he appointed his own wife as vice president, and his father was the former president. So it's kind of a monarchy. It's a joke of the democracy. So when I hear Farrakh Khan or anyone else call Azerbaijan a democracy, go ask their population. This is not a democracy. They, are, they live in fear. There is no democracy. Um, anyway, Pope, yeah, I mean, the Aliyev and his wife make an unplanned trip to the Vatican in 2020 and give uh, 2.1 or 2.2 million dollars for the restoration of the Sistine Chapel. Now, if that's not hush money, I don't know what is. And what have we seen? Even though the Pope was supportive in, in recognizing the Armenian genocide, he's barely said anything about 120,000 Armenians being starved to death right now in real time. And they do this everywhere. They do this with um, the U.S. politicians. Um, they do it in Europe, Middle East, Africa, everywhere. You know? And on top of the fact that so many nations are dependent on them for their you know, energy needs. You have, you know, every time Saudi Arabia reduces their energy uh, output, or you know, now with Russia, these nations sort of go, well, let's just placate to Aliyev and not offend him, including some of the international organizations and bodies and NGOs whose job it is to advocate for human rights, including the UN, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, um, and so much more. But yet they play into the politics and they play into the petropolitics and geopolitics. And I, I want to go a little bit about that, too, about wh- how that's playing out, the, the geopolitics and the petropolitics uh, in Ukraine as well, where uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan come up. But I just want to let people know that my guest for this full hour is Vic Jarami, editor, publisher of The Blunt Post, and he produces host Blunt Post with Vic on Radio KPFK. And we're talking about his film, Motherland, an award-winning documentary film about Azerbaijan's Turkey's attack on Artsakh and the we're talking about the public relations campaign. So the other sector where public relations is pushed out is in clean technology. So irony piled, uh, piled upon irony. I want to play one more clip that uh, sort of as a nod to that, along with how the PR presents that attack on Artsakh. It's later in the L.A. consulate celebration of Azerbaijan's Republic Day in Los Angeles in the spring of 2021. I just want to play one more clip that sort of that highlights, oh, yeah, we've got the green tech that is also up in our Azerbaijani portfolio. We'll listen in here. To the distinguished faith and community leaders for these most amazing remarks, we appreciate your friendship. 2020 was a challenging year for Azerbaijan, 
not only in terms of the global pandemic, but also in terms of a new war of aggression and occupation that was unexpectedly unleashed against Azerbaijan by neighboring Armenia. During the 44-day Patriotic War, under the leadership of our Commander-in-Chief, President Ilham Aliyev, our armed forces were able to liberate large parts of Azerbaijan's territories from Armenia's 30-year-long internationally condemned illegal occupation. Being compelled to sign a ceasefire statement, Armenia agreed to withdraw from three more districts of Azerbaijan. Thus, Azerbaijan's internationally recognized sovereignty and territorial integrity was restored. It was also the restoration of historical justice. Now over a million forcibly displaced Azerbaijanis will finally be able to return to their homelands. Azerbaijan has already started clearing the areas from landmines and rebuilding them using smart and green technologies. Okay, that I, I just want to zero mm-hmm. in on the, the, that sector, but there was also those other claims that you've already t- been talking about. So you can see him yeah. piling one, one kind of thing on after the other, and that's, again, building on this asymmetry between what Azerbaijani can perpetrate in the, the world's thinking versus what Armenia can respond it's, to. It's so detached from reality. It's just, it, it's, I have no other word for it but laughable. It's just fantastical how... They, they literally will put up a 100% lie, a complete fallacy, uh, just so people will believe that. And, you know, I mean, I guess they hope that if they just say it uh, often enough, people will believe them. We have on record in historical papers Artsakh being uh, <laughs> an integral part of Armenia going back to 7th century BCE. Since then, Armenians have been indigenous to all of Artsakh. Azerbaijan was formed by the Soviets in 1918, was concocted by the Soviets so they could bring all these nomadic people uh, and sort of house them in some sort of a territory. It never was a sovereign nation, and two years later, it folded into the USSR. Azerbaijan became a sovereign nation in 1991. So... Here is a as a nation that's like thirty something years old, telling uh, a, a republic that goes back to seventh century BCE um, about uh, integrity and territory and all of this. It's just absurd. When you go to Artsakh, there there are cathedrals and monasteries and churches that were built in fifth, sixth century, even fourth century. Uh, there are uh, cemeteries and all kinds of monuments. I mean, this is. This is just crazy. You know, another area, another historic part of Armenia that was uh, sort of gifted by Stalin to Azerbaijan is Nakhichevan. And what Azerbaijan did with Nakhichevan was they brought in bulldozers, and in a couple of decades, they tore down, and this is all online, people can look it up, this is reported by, um, you know, very respected um, educational institutions and documentarians. They basically bulldozed thousands of churches, schools, cemeteries, monasteries, any trace of Armenians having lived in Nakhichevan. You know, they're, they're so shameless. They're so, uh, you know, they're just, it's just absurd. And you know what they do is, so they, they uh, invite journalists on these press trips, and they, you know, wine and dine them, five-star diamond hotels, 
you know, they take them to Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan, and uh, just fill them with all these fantastical claims. Um, and they also do, I mean, here in the U.S. and all over Europe, they do paid media placements. So they literally will hire journalists and say, you know, um, we want well, we want you to do articles in Huffington Post and New York Times and Wall Street Journal and all over the place. And we found some of it. And it's, you know, it's, it's in Motherland. I talk about that. Yes, and, it, you know, and it's, I, it's the same thing. I had Kev Abazajian on the spring of last year to talk about this when this was being discussed in our uh, sort of civic politics here. And then uh, I received a request for Mayor Khan to show up. She wanted to be interviewed. So when I had her here on June 21st, I can always remember that date. It's not hard for some reason. And that I asked her, I said, did you realize that after your appearance at this celebration of the Republic Day, did you know what was part of that later production, what was said? And I I couldn't, I was incredulous to to take seriously her answer. And she said she had no idea what was said before or after her piece. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. there any civic leader with any degree of sophistication and uh, have with some modicum of integrity would want to know if they're figured into a production what else is being a part of that message not to not to say to deny that you were up you know there there was a larger broader theme that you were a part of so that there was that then I just I'm hopping all over the place because this is a huge topic I've yeah. been following. Ukrainian Twitter spaces that are breaking down all of the movement and alliances and systems and everything. And I learned that another confounding problem here is that with the breakup of the Soviet Union, the states, individual United States, National Guards have had a partnership. It's a very formalized program, National Guard states partnering with the former Soviet Union uh, states, including Azerbaijan. And there are other journalists that appear in these Twitter spaces, and they're they're making claims about who is the aggressor in this aggression we're talking about perpetrated on Artsakh. And I, you know, I expressed to them that they they're they're wrong in that they're they're playing some videos of some uh, some military weapon systems that are being they're implicating who is using them and how. And I I keep asking for retractions, and they 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 just they won't they don't respond to them at all. So it's Ukrainian uh, the whole genocide there is is creating such a huge it's a demand on all of us to sort of pick apart all these kinds of alliances that mm-hmm. really are, have more in common with bringing Armenia and Artsakh along in what parallels there are with what's happening in Ukraine. But it's it's really been difficult, and I'm I'm still waiting yeah. for responses. So this is all part of what you're talking about in Motherland. Yeah, I mean, they have, they also She's have... She's being gang-raped. You saw in the film, they, they also have government-sponsored teams that just put disinformation out on uh, social media. And they've been found out, and they've been caught, but they do it again, and they have bots and trolls and all kinds of stuff. Uh, some of the stuff that I see is just so absurd. It's kind of like, uh, you know, like someone telling you France is the capital of the world and Disneyland, uh, you know, is not really in L.A. Uh, it, I, it, it's just so, 
I don't even know how to compare some of the fallacies that's out there. It's just unbelievable. It, okay, it's like it's like this. If someone said something as absurd as it was the Native Americans. Uh, who carried out a genocide against the white European settlers. Wow. Like, uh, Native Americans asked white Europeans... Do you say that a lot, Vic? The... Is that a refrain of yours, or did you just come up with that now? No, I'm just coming up with it right wow. now. <laughs> I'm just coming up with something that's, that's equally absurd. As if we said, Native Americans sent letters to Europe, uh, to Christopher Columbus and, and the rest, and said, why don't you all come to the so-called New World? And then we're going to kill you and bring all your diseases with us. Um, it's just, it's so incredible. But, you know, I do want to go back to Mayor, Mayor Farrah Khan. Yep. First of all, even if she didn't know, which I don't believe, <laughs> how about a statement afterward? But why would she make a statement afterward when she was on a show where one of her really good friends who's a who's a documented Armenian genocide denier, makes a joke about Armenians disappearing, quote-unquote. We talked about that on the show, too, in June 21. And And she laughs about it. Well, and so she, what would we expect from her? And she's, if she's of course, claimed, she issued a non-apology that was, you know, as this is disingenuous as a, you know. But after the non-apology, be. there was, she appeared then on the show, and she talked about how that it's been taken out of context and they're working on the transcript. And I said, okay, so when is the transcript going to be? I mean, the transcript comes right out. I mean, it's it's instant. It's not a, a delayed kind of production. And, and uh, she yeah, simply disavowed. Yeah, damage control, create confusion. Yeah. So, and hope that no one realizes it. So I want to make sure as we're here together for, we've got another like two minutes, I think, <laughs> is how people can follow what is um, when they can see this presented in Irvine, the, the in-person uh, viewing on January's 26th, a week from tomorrow, as well as how people can dial this up on the, their Vimeo accounts. Oh, sure. So the film is available to watch on Vimeo. If you go to Vimeo and put Motherland documentary film, it will come up. Or there's a link on the film's website, which is motherlanddoc.com. So that's motherlanddoc.com. You can go there and not only watch the trailer, but you can watch the film and also, um, you know, learn about the cast, filmmakers, and all of that. The screening in uh, Irvine, it's at the Irvine City Hall uh, Council Chambers. It's an event by UCI, as well as the City of Irvine. Vice Mayor is one of the co-hosts, as well as Dr. Kev Abazadjian from uh, UC Irvine. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a Q&A panel following the screening. It's uh, on the 25th. It's Wednesday the 25th. And are you going to be there? Um, yes, I'll be okay, there. Okay, good. I'll meet you then. 6, it starts at 6 p.m. Wednesday 25th. There'll be a post-screening Q&A panel um, afterward. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, anything else is go to the website, motherlanddoc.com. And the broad question is, and I'm just going to have, we'll shorten the answer with this platform hosted in the Irvine City Hall is a one, there will be many, many takeaways on how people can more accurately interpret what's being flooded in the media, in diplomatic and other political 
circuits. You can that will be a part of the program. I'm assuming, Vic. Well, I I don't know what people are going to want to talk about afterward. I just basically okay. make myself uh, available, and people can ask any questions that they want. I think, to the best of my knowledge, the film will be introduced. We'll watch the film, and then afterward, there'll be a moderator who will introduce me. And I'll take, you know, probably ask me a few questions and I will okay. take questions from the audience. Well, I hope that that's part of it. It'll, it'll be a tutorial on how to, how to follow. Well, I'm going to close yeah. with uh, Javon Gasparian here as I send you off. Thank you for your time, Vic. And I, I appreciate you. your earnest activism and your creative process. And I also, I, I really do want to express my condolences about these many grim losses, both Thank human you. and cultural. I appreciate it, Claudia, very much. Thank, Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. My guest was Vic Durami. He's editor and publisher of The Blunt Post, as well as he's host producer of The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK. And the topic for today, we talked about his documentary, Motherland, which he's produced. So here, as promised... That's my wrap. Next week, my guest will be University of Victoria, British Columbia Professor of Civil Engineering, Heather Buckley, and she's going to talk about microplastics. And then local activist and retired higher education administrator Polly Mary about her new autobiography, Growing Up in the Ville in St. Louis, Missouri. Last week, I closed with an announcement that uh, Young Suk Kim would talk about the science of reading, and I've rescheduled her for later in February in order to give Vic a whole hour today and her a whole hour on that later program. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.